0: Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together, you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are choosing to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if this is your very first time you're ever listening to my voice or you are a seasoned listener, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you for being here, for investing in yourself and taking your time out of your day to expand and grow every single week. I'm interviewing an epic human that is making a beautiful impact in the world and doing that so that I can support you to do exactly the same. I invest so much time and energy to pull out the best stuff from these guests so that you can go ahead and make a massive impact. So I am so excited to tell you that today's legendary leader of impact is Joey Coleman. And I'll tell you a little bit about Joey and read his bio in a bit, but first I want to give you a teaser of three things that you can look forward to in this episode. Number one, Fact: It is six to seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep a current customer. And then adding on top of that, if you're selling to a new prospect, there is a five to twenty percent chance of making the sale. But if you're selling to an existing customer, that probability skyrockets to sixty to seventy percent. So that is the topic of today's conversation: is how do you increase a lifetime value by creating world-class customer experiences for the people that are working with you in your company? So that's thing number one to look out for Number two, Joey gives a full breakdown of his first 100 days methodology. There's eight phases that customers go through in the first hundred days following a purchase. So once you have awareness of these eight phases, you can be much more intentional about creating experiences that will expand the lifetime value and add more incredible experiences that are memorable and make an impact for the people that you serve. And number three, you're gonna learn so many good stories that are packed with actionable takeaways that you can use to create incredible customer experiences. Specifically look out for the $35,000 golf ball story, the Robotussin story, and the Fiberty Futual <laughs> story. Those are all incredible things to look out for in today's episode. And at this point, you're wondering who the heck is this awesome Joey guy? Well, when organizations like Whirlpool, NASA, Volkswagen Australia, the World Bank, and Zappos need to boost their customers' experience Experiences, they're calling on Joey Coleman for assistance. For over a decade, Joey has helped organizations retain their best customers and turn them into raving fans via his entertaining and actionable keynotes, workshops, and consulting projects. His first 100 days methodology helps fuel the successful customer experiences his clients deliver around the world. In his Wall Street Journal number two best selling book, Never Lose a Customer Again, Joey shares strategies and tactics for turning one time purchasers into lifelong customers while dramatically increasing profits along the way. Joey developed his narrative skills as a criminal defense trial attorney, advised and counseled Fortune 500 companies as a business consultant, honed his communications and messaging skills at the White House, and did things for the U.S. Secret Service and the CIA that he can't talk about publicly. (laughs) His design and artwork have been featured in museums, featured in juried shows, and graced publications in the United States and abroad when not traveling the world to 48 countries and counting for keynote presentations, client workshops, and quality beach time. Joey enjoys playing board games, building Lego sets, and reading bedtime stories with his amazing wife and two young sons. Guys, this is such an incredible episode. I just am such a fan of Joey and the work that he's doing in the world. And anybody that is creating incredible experiences for people just has massive ramifications and creates a ripple effect. Just think about how, how excited you are to share an incredible experience that you had with a company and, and how much joy that brings you when people go out of their way to make something incredible for you. So Joey is distilled the art and the science of creating these incredible experiences. And really for me, provided a language that I didn't know I needed to learn or what I should be looking for when I'm designing experiences for people. Because I think at the end of the day, as human beings, we all just want to feel a certain way. We want to feel certain emotions and intentionally designed experiences are the way to do that. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my new friend, Joey Coleman. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Mr. Joey Coleman, welcome to the show. Super excited
1: to have you here, my friend. This is going to be a ton of fun. Brandon, I am pumped. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while.
0: Me as well. I literally just finished going through my dozens and dozens of pages of highlights because I, I think you know sometimes you reach the Kindle export limit of highlights that you can make on a book. And I think I surpassed that for years. So I'm super excited to share your content with everyone. And I thought a great way to start would be to actually start with two stories. Kind of like you, you talk about so many incredible customer experience stories throughout your book. And I thought we could kind of show both sides the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then the um like the good and then the bad so I thought we'd maybe start with some fun stories there and I thought we'd start with a fun story So you are going to the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Las Vegas and uh, you have some Robotussin in your bag Would you mind sharing a little bit about that customer
1: experience that you had? Yeah, Brandon, I appreciate that. So I'm a professional speaker. So I spend a lot of time on the road giving speeches. And one of the perils of being on the road a lot of times is if you end up getting sick, you're often on the road while you're sick, as opposed to being sick at home, which is a much, much better place to fall ill. And I was on the road, I was feeling miserable. I've been on for a while, I developed this cold, I bought a bottle of Robitussin at the airport chugged some out of the bottle. Sorry, I know it was ridiculous. Desperate times, desperate measures, folks. And I put the bottle back into my shaving kit in my bag, in my suitcase, hopped on the plane, went to the Mandarin Oriental. I had about 30 minutes before they were having the kickoff dinner for the event I was speaking at. And so I go to open my bag and everything's good. I open the shaving kit and inside the shaving kit. It looks like a scene from a science fiction horror movie. There is pink (laughs) ooze sludge everywhere on my toothbrush, my hairbrush, my deodorant, my contact lens case, everything. It's just covered with this sticky goo. I'm on the road. I'm sick. I'm feeling miserable. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the last thing I want to have to deal with right now. I don't have time to clean it up. I'm just going to leave it here in the bathroom. I'll run down, do the dinner, come back up, clean it later tonight. We'll be good to go. But as I was leaving the room, I thought to myself, I'm going to take a picture of this. And the reason I'm going to take a picture is because the Mandarin Oriental is known around the world for their impeccable level of customer service and customer experience. And so I thought, I wonder what they would do or if they'll do anything. Now, to be clear, I wasn't trying to bait them or not take responsibility for my own mess. I just didn't have time to clean it up. I leave. I go to the dinner. I come back a couple hours later. I look in the bathroom and... All of my items have been cleaned and laid out to dry on a pristine white towel. The hairbrush, the deodorant, the toothbrush, mm-hmm. the razor, everything looks beautiful. And that in and of itself would have been a remarkable experience, an experience worth telling people about, sharing that story. But the note is what really sealed the deal. There was a mm-hmm. note on the counter and it said, Dear Mr. Coleman, I hope you're feeling better. And it was signed by a member of the housekeeping staff. And in that moment, I realized two things. Number one, especially when we are at our worst, there is an opportunity for the people that we do business with to be at their best and to pull us out of whatever we're feeling and take a negative emotion and turn it into a positive emotion. The second thing I learned is that the Mandarin Oriental does an incredible job of hiring their staff. Because I guarantee, Brandon, there is not a training manual for the housekeeping team that says, if you happen across some idiot that has left their bottle of Robitussin in the bag, they didn't leave the dialogue spilled all over, here's what you do, clean it all off, lay it on the towel, write a thoughtful, meaningful note that makes them feel good. No, but they hired someone that knew that's what they should do. And I think that's the difference between creating customer experiences and creating remarkable customer experiences. When we move to a remarkable customer experience, it's the type of experience that allows someone's empathy, their passion, their love, their care, their hospitality, to spring forward in that moment to deliver something memorable.
0: That is such a fun and incredible story. And you planted a seed right there because I want to dive into a little bit later about the difference that you see as between customer service and customer experience, because I know that that's really important. But I just want you listening to right now to kind of keep that picture in your mind of that incredible experience that Joey had. And I want to juxtapose that with uh, an opposite version of that. And then we'll dive from there and everywhere in between on how you can create incredible experiences within your company. But Joey, talk to me a little bit about Fiberty Futual.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so funny, Brandon, because there is literally one negative customer experience story in the entire book. And you're one of the few people (laughs) that's asked about it. So, I, like many folks when I got married, uh, needed to insure my wedding band. And so I went to the insurance company and I said, I'd like to insure my wedding band. And they said, okay, we need you to submit the receipts and the information from what it cost, so that it would be insured at the proper level. Makes perfect sense, but to be candid, I'd never insured jewelry before, right? I'm not a big watch owner, wearer, jewelry wearer. And so I sent off the information from the jewelry store. I sent off the stuff saying what it had cost. And I was under the presumption that it would be insured at that amount. Because we actually had some conversations about it. That, like, hey, if I lose the wedding band, not only is it going to be a little chink in the relationship with my wife, because it's like, oh, I lost the symbol of our marriage, but I've spent some good money on this wedding band and I'd like to be able to get it back so I can buy a replacement band. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm on an airplane. I'm feeling tired. Lots of times when I fly at the time because my ring was made of platinum. When you fly a lot, your hands and your feet have a tendency to swell and do swell. And so I would take the ring off because it was a tight fit put it in my pocket and then when I woke up when we landed I'd pull it out of my pocket put on my finger and go because we kind of acclimated back to a normal altitude long story short I'm walking through the airport it dawns on me that I don't have my ring on so I reach in my pocket and I realize my ring isn't there I've left my ring or somehow my ring has fallen out on the plane. I race back to the gate. I'm a regular flyer of Delta. I'm a big fan of the airline. They let me back on the plane, which they never let anybody back on the plane. But I'm like, please, it's my wedding ring. Like, this is a problem. We look around in the seat. We look around everything. We talk to the cleaning crew. No one has seen this. It's lost. I go to the airport lost and found. I talk to them. Mind you, this is all on a layover while I'm flying somewhere else to give a speech. I'm go. i trying to backtrack my steps, find it, can't find it file a police report, contact the insurance agency, and I say, hey, here's the situation. I lost the ring. I'd like to file a claim. I need the replacement. They say, great, we need to pull some information. Do, 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 Next thing I know, I get an email from them that says, we would like to offer you X dollars for your wedding band. Now, mind you, the X dollars they were offering represented less than 20% of the purchase price. Oh, Thanks the wedding band and I was like wait a second what's the eighty percent haircut for like I already told them <laughs> on. they're like well we don't do the value and we felt that that estimate for what you had was actually off and I'm like wait a second the premiums I've been paying for years were based on the that value not on this little value what have you done like what's going on and they're like well we're not going to do it and it just soured my entire experience not only with the company but with insurance in general. And here's the thing, in every business, I understand that you have rules and regulations. I understand that you have different offerings of varying degrees. What I think is important is to make sure that there's a meeting of the minds between the customer and the business as far as what the expectations are. And if you're in the insurance industry and you're insuring a wedding band, there's really only one time that someone's going to need to call in that insurance and that's if they lose the ring. You right. know that's that that is literally the sole purpose for having the insurance policy and that is the sole use case that someone would need to cash in on it. Why not be explicitly clear? Why not say to me, "Hey Joey, if you want the full amount, we're going to have to have you pay X dollars more." That's what I thought I was getting, but that was nowhere was that uh Uh, shared in any of the information. And I'm a recovering attorney. I say that acknowledging that the first step (laughs) is admitting you have a problem, right? There's 11 (laughs) steps after that. But if I read the policy and I didn't understand the value, what does someone who doesn't have a law degree experience when they read the policy? Like I'm used to legalese. I'm used to lawyers writing stuff that you have to read seven times before you understand it it was not a positive experience. So that kind of juxtaposes the two experiences one can have when it comes to being a customer.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. And you kind of alluded to it in both of those stories, but like my one of my biggest takeaways from reading your book is talking about anticipating the emotional journey that someone is going through. And like in both of those stories, it was prevalent. It's like, you can only imagine how you were feeling already having lost your wedding ring. And like, there's a huge opportunity if the company had taken the time to understand how you were feeling in that moment, they they had an opportunity to turn that terrible situation into a positive one. And the same with the opposite of that, when the, the cleaning staff noticed that you were sick and just acknowledged how you were feeling there, just a huge takeaway for anyone. And obviously we'll dive into this is just like paying attention to how people are feeling and all these different interactions with you. There's opportunity to make a great experience and opportunity to make a not so great experience as we just just learned there. But I, I kind of planted the seed earlier. So I figured it's actually a good spot to go here. But you said a little bit about, we talked about the difference between customer service and customer experience. And I think that this is kind of, there are a few foundational principles that I would love to cover for people. And then we can maybe go into some of the, the steps that you outlined for people. But would love for you to kind of start by explaining the difference that you view as customer service versus customer experience.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Brandon. And I think at the end of the day, many people use customer service and customer experience interchangeably. And that's okay, but I think it's flawed. I think there's a consequence of doing that. See, I define customer service as the assistance and advice provided by a company to those people who buy or use its products or services. Think of it as the way we help you out if you need to know more or having a problem with some aspect of our relationship. Whereas customer experience is how customers perceive their interactions with your company. It's about Mm. the feelings. It's about the perceptions. If you were to put them into two buckets, customer service is reactive, whereas customer experience is proactive. So what Mm. you want to do is focus on developing a customer experience plan, building out a customer service department or function so that when the customer experience plan goes awry, The customer service department is ready to jump Mm. in and help. Mm, I love that. So let's let's keep building on this just to make it super
0: super relevant for people. Because I know when you if you were to kind of like listen to a bajillion well well let's say you listen to a hundred podcasts about. Business and marketing and all that kind of stuff. You're gonna find a ton of content about customer acquisition, sales, marketing. And like what's not as much a part of the conversation is where you come in and you talk about how do we keep these customers. And I know we have a mutual friend John Rulin who's been on the show to talk about customer retention and that kind of stuff. And I was immediately thinking, I was like, I gotta introduce him to John as soon as I I and then I was like, wait, he's like he's inside of the book. So shout out to shout out to John Rulin. But but you know, very few people are talking about this component of it. And I would love for you to kind of maybe paint the picture for us a little bit. What is the the cost of losing the customer, and maybe what are some of
1: the benefits of keeping your customers? Well, the the costs and the benefits are in many ways innumerable when you really dive into them. Let's talk about some of the statistical realities of losing a customer. When you lose a customer, first of all, you lose the opportunity to get any more money from them. So they go from being somebody that's contributing to your revenues and contributing pro- to your profits to disappearing entirely. So immediately you lose the fixed dollars that were coming in. You also miss the opportunity for the increase in dollars that you might get from them in the future, both in terms of quantity and profitability. What do I mean by that? Well, the longer someone has done business with you, the more interest they are in the other products and services you offer. You know, we have these customers that get to the point where they're, as Kevin Kelly would say, one of our thousand true fans. They buy everything we produce. These are the gold. These are the platinum customers that we want. And if we're losing them faster than we can bring them in, we create this dynamic where we're not getting those later on purchases from them that increases the share of wallet. It also impacts profitability because each additional dollar a customer spends with you is more profitable than the first dollar. Now, before mm. anybody listening says, you know, oh, wait a second, that's uh that's a lot of math you're asking me to do, Joey. Let me break it down a little bit. Once we cover our acquisition cost, once we cover the cost of keeping the lights on, keeping the employees at work, our base operating expenses, every dollar is profitable. And most businesses are already covering those expenses. So the additional dollars that come in are the ones that allow you the growth, allow you the increased profitability. So there's a challenge there. But the last thing, and what I think is probably the worst thing about losing customers, is you miss out on the opportunity of referrals. For those of you listening, I would ask, are you in a situation where you're happy with all the referrals you have? You don't want any more referrals? Mm -hmm. Because if that's the case, please reach out to me. I've never met a business owner, a leader, uh, anyone on a team who says, yeah, Joey, we're all good on referrals. People make referrals after they've been with you for a while. We don't make referrals the first day we try a new product or the first, you know, week that we try a product. We've got to make sure that it's consistent, that it delivers on a regular basis. That's when we do the referrals. And referrals are more profitable by their very nature because we didn't have to spend any marketing or sales dollars to get them. They just come right in and they're ready to go. They're pre-framed and they often turn into some of our best customers. So there's a real economic cost to all these things. Lastly, there's a real emotional cost to losing customers, right? The revolving door of customers leaving is probably the biggest morale crusher on your team that there is because they're constantly feeling that sense of loss. They're constantly dealing with off people are leaving the scarcity mindedness of we got to get more people in. It reduces the amount of money that we can spend on projects. It reduces often the headcount that we have in the organization. So now we have fewer people doing more work to serve a customer base that seems to be leaving the ship, you know, running off into the night. And so we have this balance of it's hurting our bottom line. It's hurting our emotional feeling. It's hurting our ability to grow in the future it gets real messy real fast. Needless to say, by focusing on customer experience, you can address all of those things all at once.
0: Yeah, I've been studying so much of Dan Kennedy's stuff and his famous quote is, whoever can spend the most to acquire a customer wins, but that only happens when you have a backend that supports that or lifetime value of a customer where you're treating them and building that relationship. If people are leaving as fast as they're coming, <laughs> you can't continue to invest at people in higher and higher levels. And I think that as you allude to in the book, like this next phase of, Business is all about creating incredible experiences for people. Like these companies that are standing the test of time are obsessed with creating world class customer experiences that are just creating this word of mouth and really just. You know, helping us to be more human and be be grateful for the human experience. So I love that. And if you're listening right now and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so much content and I'm so excited to dive in. Well, obviously we're only going to be able to cover a little bit of everything that has inside of Joey's brilliant brain on how to never lose a customer again. But you can go right now, you can check out Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale Into Lifelong Loyalty loyalty in 100 Days. I tore through it. And like I said, I have so many highlights for Kindles, but I thought that Joey, during the rest of our, our time, we would kind of go through some of the more tactical ways that people could start to implement this now that you understand like, oh my gosh, there's so much gold sitting here. I didn't even realize that this was sitting in my backyard. What are some of the ways that we can actually begin to increase that customer lifetime value, deliver these experiences? And so I know you you talk about this critical period of 100 days. Um, so we'd love for you to kind of maybe share the journey of 100 days and, and maybe give an overview of some of the eight phases that people go through in the customer journey.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about the 100 days first. All the research shows, when I was writing the book, we looked at small, medium, and large businesses, online and offline, domestic and international, product and service, basically every type of business you could imagine. And what we looked at is how quickly after someone becomes a customer, do they stop being a customer? What is that time frame between when they start and when they leave? And what we found is that across all industries globally, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will leave in the first 100 days. Mm -hmm. 20 to 70%. Brandon, I found these numbers to be staggering. Uh, In the auto mechanic industry, it was 68%. Restaurants was 40 to 70%, depending on the type of cuisine you serve. Uh, Cell phone companies was 22%. Banks was 32%. Uh, Software as a service was 20%. In every industry, these double digit numbers kept showing up. But what was more terrifying to me than that was how few business owners, how few leaders had any idea what their percentage was. They weren't paying attention to this at all. I mean, to me, this is a gaping, hemorrhaging wound in the side of your business. You are literally bleeding out from your business. And we have no context for this, let alone a plan to stop it. And so what I did when I realized this is I started working with my consulting clients to figure out what can we do to stop over-indexing on acquisition and start focusing on retention. How can we make those first 100 days so remarkable, so fantastic that the customer wants to stay long-term? Because the research also showed us that on day 101, if you are loving the relationship, you're feeling well taken care of, you're feeling connected to the business, the typical customer will stay for five years. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty excited to spend a hundred day investment to get five years of Revenue, profit, and relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So we tried to figure out what we needed to do. And in analyzing this and looking at it, and there's over 46 case studies in the book where we dissected and looked at the different ways business approached uh, new customer onboarding and retention. We found that there are eight key phases of the customer journey. I'll give you a quick overview of each of the phases. They all start with the letter A. The idea behind that is not to confuse you or to overly play on the alliteration, but it's this idea that if you're doing every phase right, it's like getting straight A's on your report card at school. The customer is giving you high marks for your performance. The first phase is the assess phase. In the assess phase, the prospect is trying to consider whether or not they even want to do business with you. In common parlance, we call this marketing and sales. They're looking at your website, checking out your marketing materials, talking to your salespeople, looking at your offers, trying to decide, do I want to become a customer? They then transition to phase two, the admit phase. In the admit phase, the prospect admits that they have a problem or a need that they believe you can help them with. They sign on the dotted line. They hand over their hard-earned cash. They transition from being a prospect to being a customer. This is day one of the first 100 days. The clock starts ticking. Almost immediately after they do that, they start to feel buyer's remorse. We've all heard of the phrase buyer's remorse, but most businesses do nothing to address the buyer's remorse that their customers are scientifically proven to be feeling. In phase three, the affirm phase, you need to reaffirm the decision they made to do business with you. You need to give them the confidence, the certainty that you're going to be a good partner for them, you're gonna deliver on the value that you promised, and this relationship is going to be positive for them going forward. We then come to phase four, Okay. Phase four is the activate phase. In the activate phase, we have our first real moment of truth. They receive the product that they ordered online, they unbox it, and they start using it for the first time. They go to the kickoff meeting in a service scenario where we show up to deliver the service for them. In the activate phase, we want to energize the relationship. I call it activate because we want to show that new customer that doing business with us is going to be unlike any business experience they have ever had. We then come to phase five. Now, Brandon, I'll tell you, phase five is where most businesses start to fall off the rails. Phase five (laughs) is the acclimate phase. Now, this can last weeks, months. It just depends on the business and what you're offering. And in the acclimate phase, you've got to hold your customer's hand while they get used to your way of doing business. See, you've done this dozens of times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. But to a new customer who's never done business with you, They have no idea what comes next. They have no idea what to expect. And by the way, they've forgotten all the things you told them in the sales process. Lots of Mm -hmm. times I work with clients and they say, but Joey, we gave them a contract that detailed the 17 steps of our process. Folks, you sign contracts that you don't read (laughs) all the time, all the time. And your customers are the same way. They just were like, yeah, this sounds good to me. Let's do it. They didn't think through all the machinations and all the process of what it was going to be like to work with you. So in the acclimate stage, we got to hold their hand so that ideally they reach phase six, the accomplish phase. This uh, This is where the customer accomplishes the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. See, every prospect has a vision of what your product or service is going to allow them to achieve. We need to know what their goal is, and we need to track their progress towards that goal so that when they accomplish it, we can celebrate with them. If we do that, we have the privilege to go to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is when the customer becomes loyal to you and only you. They're not going to look at the competition. They are committed. They are a bought in. And if, and only if they've become an adopter, do we have the right, the privilege to have them transition to the eighth phase, the final phase, nirvana, the holy grail the advocate phase, where they become our raving fans singing our praises far and wide. Now, here's the crazy thing, Brandon. Most businesses are trying to jump customers from that admit phase day one when they purchase to the advocate phase with no consideration for what (laughs) happens in between, right? This is the equivalent of going on a date with someone, sitting down, and before you've even ordered appetizers saying, so when do I get to meet your parents? Okay, it's just advancing the conversation way too fast. Pump the brakes, slow it down, go through the natural process of building and developing a relationship over time. And then you earn the right to be advocated for. Ah, oh, Joey is
0: my favorite type of podcast guest that just, man, like that was, there was so much gold there. And I just want to give a, a quick recap. If you were sitting taking notes and you're on the gym, if you're on the treadmill, and you need to pause like I am when I listen to these things. Phase one, assess. Phase two, admit. Phase three, affirm. Phase four, activate. Phase five, acclimate. Phase six, accomplish. Phase seven, adopt. And phase eight, advocate. And I just think that there's so much gold. in if you didn't, if you stopped right now, and if you didn't listen to the book, if you just knew that those phases existed, and you just simply just started to map like, okay, what are the systems that I have going on right now that correlate with those? And where am I, if I didn't even recognize a phase, like there's probably a chance that you're missing some, some systems inside of there. So, um, that was absolutely incredible in and of itself, but let's, let's add a little bit of color to as much of those as possible. And I know you, you alluded to phase five being where people drop the ball. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how much we can get in, but I kind of picked some of my favorite stories and going through the book, uh, that to kind of really bring these home for some people. And I thought maybe we can start, with phase one let's talk about let's talk about uh, you tell this incredible story about a $35,000 golf ball. <laughs> I think is
1: a, a great example of of setting up this success phase. I love it. So years ago, I was working for a company called the Corporate Executive Board, and my job was to travel all over the country and try to convince senior heads of sales and chief information officers to join this membership. It was kind of a for-profit think tank. It would range anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 to join the membership. And I went and I met with this guy who was the head of sales at an energy company. And when I walked into this guy's office, it was as if I had walked into the clubhouse at the nicest country club in the world, right? He had all these pictures on the, first of all, the office was huge, right? The office was probably 40 feet by 30 feet. It was an enormous office. And on the walls were all of these pictures of the key holes on golf courses around the world. Pebble Beach, Augusta, the old course at St. Andrews. It was just gorgeous. And you know how sometimes in the movies, you see somebody, they have a little putting green in their office. (laughs) This guy had a four- whole course in his office (laughs) instead of having a putter he had bags of putters golf bags filled with putters alongside. So we walk in, I'm supposed to have a 30 minute meeting with this guy to pitch him on joining. And I say, so seems a little bit like you're into golf. And he starts laughing, he goes, yeah, just a little. And I said, you know, it's so interesting. I said, I'm not a good golfer but I'm gonna be playing at Pebble Beach next week on vacation with my family. He's like, Pebble Beach, how are you a non-good golfer getting to play at Pebble? I was like, well, we know someone who knows someone and my brothers and my dad are really good. I basically go along to carry their bags. We spend (laughs) 28 and a half minutes, Talking about golf. In the final minute and a half, I was like, Look, Jimmy, I really appreciate your time today. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about the membership, but if I could leave some information for you so that you could just give it some consideration, I think you'd be a great fit. I think you'd love the group. Hopefully, you'll be willing to join us. He's like, Thanks, Joey. I got to get to my next meeting. I'm sorry. Fast forward a week, I'm on the golf course playing at Pebble. It's a great time checking things out. And I happen to be walking through after the round, uh, the clubhouse, and I see little logoed golf balls. Now, as it turns out, the US Open was having their 100th anniversary and they had these special golf balls. So I decided to buy one. I went to the concierge. I got a FedEx envelope. I wrote a little note. It said, Jimmy, playing here at Pebble where I don't belong, but you certainly do. Uh, hope that we get a chance to play here together someday. Sincerely, Joey. I sent mm-hmm. it off FedEx next day delivery, okay? Because basically if you get a FedEx package and it's next day, you're going to open it. And especially if it's a lumpy package, you're even more (laughs) excited about it, right? Fast forward a day and a half after that, I'm on the golf course playing and my phone rings. Now, if you play golf, you know that is bad form, But I quickly step aside. I answer my phone. It's my assistant. She says, what the heck did you do to Jimmy? So what are you talking about? She's like, he just called me and said, fax him the contract. He's ready to join. She's like, you told me you had like a minute and a half conversation with him and didn't even talk about the membership. Friends, the reason this is the $34,000 golf ball is because I thoroughly believe that sending the golf ball to Jimmy is what produced the sale. Not because he loved the golf ball, but we connected in a personal and emotional way. He got a preview of how much I was paying attention to what matters to him before I asked him to pay attention to what mattered to me, to join the membership, to go ahead and buy the thing that I was selling.
0: I have it highlighted right here directly from your book, how you make people feel about what it's going to be like to do business with you is even more important than your actual product. Or service. And I actually just recently had a, a a client on board, and it was something where I sent her this crazy cool experience. And she she was kind of she didn't answer to my first email, but when I sent her the, the experience, she like responded right away. And to me, I'm just so grateful that you're sharing this content with the world, Joey, because like to me, depth of relationships is just so special. Like when you have an opportunity to really go deep with people, um, and I, I feel like having a playbook for people to understand that. Yeah, obviously, you want to um, grow your business and kind of stuff like that, but it just shows like the whole human side of relationships that like people at the end of the day, we're just emotional creatures. We love to feel secure in our relationships, and we love to feel that people pay attention and love us. And so it's a very basic message, but it's so profound <laughs> and so so incredible when you really take the time to implement this kind of stuff. So um, I, I I really can imagine. I hope that one golf ball is in a very special spot in, in his office. <laughs>
1: Well, I appreciate that, Brandon. And you know what I also think is interesting about this is with each passing year, our desire as human beings to have connection, to have personal and emotional connection, I think is increasing. I think it's increasing for two reasons. Number one, Mm -hmm. I think communities are becoming more fractured We are, quote unquote, friends with more people online, uh, but we don't interact with as many people in real life in our day-to-day lives. We don't know who our neighbors are. We don't know who the other families at our kids' schools are or the other folks at the gym we work out. We just kind of put our headphones on and do our thing as opposed to connecting with folks. And I think the reality is humans in the modern era are dying for connection. Mm -hmm. And if you can show up with, honest, genuine connection. Not, I didn't send Jimmy the golf ball thinking this is going to be the thing that gets him to join. That was not my intention at all. Sure. Looking at it in hindsight, I can see how that might've had an impact on his emotional state, but I just thought it was cool. And I thought, I liked this guy. He's super into golf. He's going to like this too. So I'm going to buy this and send it to him. Those little touches, those little moments of strategic appreciation or just human appreciation really move the dial in the depth of our relationships.
0: Yeah, Brian Brian Kurtz has this concept called 100 where it's like give 100% and expect nothing in return. And I think that- it's an incredible way to move throughout the world. Obviously you have to have that filter of like getting taking advantage of because that obviously happens when you have that approach. But at the end of the day, like if you're not as worried about that and you really just want to appreciate that human in front of you, I've just witnessed magic happen in my life as a result of just not really keeping score (laughs) and just having those good relationships.
1: Absolutely, here, I I take it one step further, Brent. I don't want to keep score. And the reason Mm. I don't want to keep score is I don't want anyone keeping score on me. I know that there's plenty of times where I drop the ball, where there's plenty of times where I don't deliver the type of experience, the type of conversation, the type of relationship that I hope to deliver. I I just don't. Why? Because I'm human. And so why would I expect anything different from anyone else? You know, my philosophy on this is don't write the thank you note with the intention of getting the thank you note from the person for your thank you note. Mm -hmm. Right? Lots of times people are like, I wrote the thank you note and I never heard back from them. You're not supposed to hear back from them. (laughs) You're the one that was doing the volley back saying thank you. They don't have to say thank you for the thank you. (laughs) Why, if, if we're buying a gift, if we're writing a note, if we're doing something special for someone, our connection to it emotionally should end when we give it. We Mm. shouldn't be worried about what is their reaction? What is their experience? I've had people say to me, they're like, well, Joey, I wanted to do something really special for someone. And I did. And I I never heard back from them. So it didn't work. I'm like, how do you know that? Well, it didn't lead to more business. Oh, that was your intention. Your intention (laughs) was more business. Oh, I'm not surprised that it didn't work. Mm. Your intention needs to be to be a good human, to connect with another soul that's what's going to move the dial, not, oh, well, if I send out gifts to my top 50 prospects, the likelihood of 38 of them deciding to buy from me in the next quarter is much greater. Now, the reality is it is greater, but don't go into it with that attitude. Go into Mm -hmm. it with the long game appreciation of, I just want to develop a deep connection with someone. And the way we do that is by listening and showing them that we were listening. That can be in a note, that can be in a gift, it can be in a shared article, it can be in a, hey, I just saw this movie and think you'd love it. It doesn't, it's not about the money you spend, it's about the intentionality of the connection you're creating.
0: Yeah, super super valuable, and I just I, I love that idea of just not even like just eliminate the score completely from from your brain and like that, that if you were thank if you were expecting the thank you from the thank you, <laughs> yeah it shows that shows that you have some work to do from that side of it. And maybe you just be thanking for the thank you for the thank you thank you for the thank you at, for, for forever if that were <laughs> if that was the point, just move on. <laughs> I love that. So let's let's keep going. So we, we just talked about uh, the thirty five thousand dollar golf ball as an as, as an example of the assess phase on building that relationship um i the the next phase you talk about is admit so when people are moving into actually saying yeah i had this problem and i agree that you can support me and you talk about like there's an incredible opportunity here that some people do better at than others but really just co-creating an experience of celebration and really just kind of framing that for people you give a bunch of incredible examples in the book but maybe we'd love for you to just share about some experiences that have stood out for you for where people have really taken the opportunity to celebrate when someone decides to come on
1: well, I think what really uh, the, the piece of advice I would give in this context is when you get a new customer, as a general rule, I imagine you're feeling great. You know, if you're listening and you think about getting a new customer, that makes you smile, that makes you excited, that makes you happy. Why don't we share our level of excitement enthusiasm with the person who decided to join? Mm-hmm. Lots of times the reason we don't do that is because we don't want to seem desperate, We don't want to seem like we're trying too hard. We see this in dating. People are like, oh, it was a great date, but don't don't text or call the next day. You got to wait two or three days. What? (laughs) Who made these stupid rules? Stop it. That is not how we should be behaving as humans. If you are loving something, express it. If you're excited about something, share it. By inviting in our new customers into our enthusiasm and excitement for the project, we reaffirm their decision. We let them know that, okay, I made a good choice. It wasn't just me that was feeling excited about it. They're Mm -hmm. feeling excited about it. And I think there's so many different ways that we can do this. Uh, Not the least of which is making the actual signing of the contract an experience. I'm working with a property management company right now. And one of the things we're talking about is when you sign the lease for a new apartment, that's a big moment you're committing to moving somewhere and paying probably the biggest aspect of your monthly expenses is going to go to this new place. And what is the typical experience of signing a lease with an apartment? Well, it's a poorly written lease that you don't understand a lot of it. You're feeling awkward, hoping you're not signing your life away. You sign it, you hand it to them and they say, okay, great. Thanks. Uh, we're going to move you into unit 301 now. R- really? That, that's yeah. it? there is, yeah, there isn't celebration. There isn't, you know, popping champagne corks. There isn't, we're so excited to have you. What can you do to really mark those moments as being an important milestone in the relationship?
0: I I love how in the book, one of the, the, the examples that I highlighted that you gave was Build-A-Bear. And I talk about Build-A-Bear a lot in, in whenever I am on somebody else's show, because I truly believe that Build-A-Bear is a great example of co-creating an experience, right? Like, like the the reason why they can charge five hundred million dollars for a stupid bear, what you know, obviously <laughs> it's it's because the kid is pumping the stuffing, they're putting the heart in. they know that they're they're co-creating it, but i I you know, I love. Uh, the, the, one of the takeaways for me from this section was like giving someone a physical memento of that moment that happens of like they give a kid a birth certificate for the teddy bear and right like that that moment would just go lost at the store if they didn't give that birth certificate so I love that that idea of like actually integrating some kind of physical thing like if you're giving someone experience something that like if it's sitting on their coffee table they'll be able to like remember
1: and feel those emotions again of that initial experience. Well, look at what happens at the top levels of our government, right? So there's a new bill that is passed by Congress and the president signs that bill into law. Have you ever watched what happens when they do that? The president's sitting at the desk and they have about 20 pens in front of them and they sign their name using 20 different pens. Like I'm going to do the stroke of the J with one pen and I'm (laughs) going to switch to another pen for the O and another pen for the E and a different pen for the Y. And then they give those pens to all the people that are there as a memento of the signing of this bill and those people that are there are usually the sponsors of the bill the key people who voted for the bill some of the families or the individuals who promoted the bill and who are going to be affected by the bill they create a physical talisman or memento of what just happened i'm not saying when you sign a contract for your enterprise software agreement you should give the pen to the person and be like aha look we've signed this multi-million dollar engagement (laughs) But what I am saying is think creatively about how to memorialize the experience with an artifact. What do Hmm. I mean by an artifact? Something that that person keeps that is a piece of nostalgia that reminds them of a particular moment in time, a particular experience they had, and who was in the room with them when that occurred.
0: Yeah. And again, I'll just encourage anyone to go check out the episode I did with John Rulin If you want to deep dive in like creating artifacts with people and, and the specific types of artifacts and why kitchenware is actually a better gift to give than other kinds of gifts. So that, that can be a whole deep dive for someone else. But I love that idea because, you know, it's like the the ROI of the exposure of that event. If you in, integrate that artifact into it, it just significantly increases. So so freaking cool. So I know we're we're kind of coming up on time. We're not going to have time for all phases. I knew that from the very beginning. But you alluded to in the beginning that where people start to lose steam is in phase five in acclimate. And I you have some incredible examples here of of really how to get someone used to the way that you do business in a way that makes them not feel frazzled. And like you said in the beginning, when you shared the initial example, it's like, we're so used to doing it. We forget what it's like to be going through this experience for the first time. So um, I know, uh, yeah, we'd love to you to maybe just share a little bit about some of the ways that we can acclimate people and and really crystallize
1: and make this experience special for people. Well, one of my favorite stories in the acclimate phase is a company called Policy Medical. Policy Medical makes software that helps hospitals manage their hr policies now, i know you're listening and you just got super excited you were like oh lordy <laughs> he's yes gonna do a, he's gonna do a hospital <laughs> policy hr software management company <laughs> Woo, this is a sexy example no but here's the thing friends if policy medical could make their experience remarkable you have no excuse So what Policy Medical does is they sell their software to the head of IT at the hospital who buys it. But because it manages policy records, the person who's in charge of implementing this program is the head of HR, okay? So pay attention to that little piece, sold to the head of IT, implemented by the head of HR. Now, what do we know about HR people? Well, as a general rule, HR people are more into people than they are into computers, IT people more into computers than they are into people, right? Those are big sweeping generalizations, generalizations, (laughs) but that's the practical reality. This person is now responsible for a multi-million dollar software implementation, and they've probably never done a software implementation. So what does Policy Medical do? On day 15, they send the head of HR a box. It comes in this beautiful FedEx box, right? They open, they're like, oh, what's this? It's exciting. They open it up and in the box are 20 little playing cards. Now, these playing cards are about the size of a business card. They've got a colorful image on one side with a glossy rendering. And on the back, it details the 19 steps of the software implementation with a 20th card that says congratulations. It also includes a picture frame. And the idea is that as you complete each of the steps, you put the pieces of the puzzle into the picture frame. So when you're done, you have this beautiful mosaic. Now, some of you are thinking, Joey, that sounds ridiculous. Why would anybody be interested in that? Why would anybody like that? Well, my friend, with respect, you don't work in hospital policy records management. Let me tell you a little bit about the kind of person that does, okay? This is a general rule as a woman aged 45 to 60. She feels overworked and underappreciated. She works in a cubicle and hopes that people will stop by and say hi during the day. Because as I mentioned, she's in HR. She likes people. She decorates her cubicle with little pieces of flair, decorations, designs that are meant to pull people in and ask questions about the things in her space. She's just been assigned this software implementation program. She doesn't need a Gantt chart, an Excel spreadsheet a 58 page manual. She likes pictures. So we give her pictures. What they found is when they implemented this program, the number of successful implementations of the software they had dramatically increased. Not only were they more successful, but they happened faster and those customers stayed longer. Why? Because they had a picture of of what comes next policy medical was holding their mat holding their hand with a visual of the journey that they were going on so that they could mark the milestones and the progress on that journey every step of the way
0: i want you everyone listening to to hear what joey didn't say i want cuz like i somebody told me that was an earlier guest on the show he's like if um base, uh, it's like novices listen to the music, masters listen to the silence between the notes. Um, And so sometimes I love to just highlight like what you didn't say that was so valuable is like, go back, hit the skip 15 or 30 seconds back and just listen to the details that Joey shared on the person that he had in mind as he created this experience for them. He knew exactly where they're sitting, what they're, what's on their desk, like how old they are and what their experience is. And like, that's obviously someone as a master of their craft that has thought about creating an emotional experience specifically for that person. So that's like a takeaway that I think is just incredible is like the research that you do is a direct reflection of the uh, the the experience that you can create because you don't know those things about a person unless you can be intentional about that. So I love that. And obviously anyone can think about how to do this for their business too. It's like if you have a step-by-step process for client fulfillments or whatever that is, not being in the dark when when you're going through something, that's something that you appreciate. You want to know what's coming next. And if you have some kind of way of, of, of handling that, that is something that I'm absolutely excited about taking away and doing myself. So that's super cool.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Braden. What I'll say is this, when, when we're designing things for our customers, it's important to design things that they are going to like, mm. not things that we are going to like. Mm. It's also important, I believe, for all of your customers to know at every moment where they are in the process, what they did immediately before this and what they're gonna have to do next. Mm-hmm. The big miss I think that most organizations have globally is that they have customers that are unsure of where they are in the flow. They don't know, are we, are we close to being done? Are we just getting started? Is there more homework to come? Are we gonna be celebrating soon? They have zero context. Our opportunity as business owners, business leaders is to say, we're going to make sure that anyone who's doing business with us is always fully informed of where they are on the map. And if we want to give them a physical map for them to track their progress on the map, that is probably an even better idea for making sure they know where they're at.
0: Yeah. And I, I love to, if you want like a silly, silly, simple example that you might've experienced, I love that you gave us in the book because I didn't realize that what they were doing until you pointed it out. But Domino's pizza, you order a freaking piece of pizza from or a, a, a pizza from Domino's and they show you, okay, it's going in the oven. It's like loading on the delivery truck and it's coming to you. Like we love to know what's happening. <laughs> and when you can give that to someone, it just eliminates so much mystery. So I love Absolutely. that. Joey, are our, our time is just flying. And I uh, there's one more phase that I would love to skip to, and then we can start wrapping things up. But um, so we, we we gave some examples from phase one, assess from admit, we jumped to acclimate. So obviously, if you want to color in the pages for yourself and learn more about this, go check out Joey's book. But one thing that I think, you know, you talk about how phase eight is the, the golden phase where not many relationships get to this point where people turn into an advocate and are sharing your stuff. But as you alluded to earlier, like referrals and testimonials are so invaluable in any, like all throughout the process. And you share some some incredible wisdom on the timing of asking for referrals, how to ask for referrals. And I would love for you to share some of your insights here, because I think this is someone that, something that so many people can take and implement right now.
1: No, I appreciate that, Brandon. Here's the interesting thing. When it comes to asking for referrals, I think the majority of folks fall into two buckets that you don't want to be in either one. They either ask way too early or they never ask at all. That defines the majority of businesses. The majority of businesses that you've interacted with as a consumer, just think about it. They either ask you for a referral while you were still in the checkout cart on their website. (laughs) Who else? Could you provide an email of three friends that you think might be interested in our service as well? I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm not giving you anything. (laughs) Or we're incredibly loyal to a brand. We love them. We sing their praises and they never ask for a testimonial. They never ask for a referral. So the secret is to ask, but to ask at the right time. What do I mean by that? We want to wait until they've accomplished their goal or they've had a win or a success. And we ask then. Don't ask while they're in the muck and mire. Don't ask while they're working through the painful parts of your onboarding process or getting things up and running or developing or learning how to use your product. Ask once they've had a win or a success. And you can ask in two ways. I like to do the gentle ask And then the big ask, what do I mean by that? The gentle ask is asking for a testimonial, asking for a review, asking for them to publicly acknowledge that they like you. Then we go to the referral. So when we ask someone, you know, one of the things I love to do is uh, people will message me sometimes and it's so wonderful and appreciated. And they'll say, Joey, I read your book and I absolutely loved it. I particularly loved the policy medical story where you kind of had the cards, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do, do. And they'll email me that and I'll email back and I'll say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing. I'm glad that was your favorite story. If it's not too big of an ask, could you copy and paste this email into Amazon as a review? Could you just turn it into a review? Because as you may or may not know, Folks that juices the algorithm, folks that are uh, potentially interested in reading this book might read that and say, oh, that sounds like a great story I want to learn more about. Can you do a review? That is more valuable to me than them buying 10 more books. That is actually more valuable to me than them referring one friend to buy my book if they'll write the review. So lots of times we think of referrals as only being the, oh, well, did they bring me a paying customer? No, sometimes singing your praises is enough of a a benefit in and of itself. So there's that opportunity. The other thing is when we ask for referrals, ask in an intentional way. When most businesses ask for a referral, they say, do you know anyone else that might like our product? What that does in our brains as human is it, it makes you think of every human being you've ever met to try to find one that might like this product. Imagine instead if they said, do you know anyone who has been trying to lose weight for more than a decade? They've tried the supplements, they've tried the programs, they've done the virtual stuff, they've done the in-person boot camps, they've joined this gym and that gym, and they just haven't had any success. And you really get the feeling that they're probably at the point where they've just given up. If you know anyone like that, we'd like to give you the opportunity to gift them the chance to come to our three-day program. Free, no cost to them. Come to our program and see if maybe we can help because we're committed to helping people that feel like all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. Now, when I present that type of a model, you listening at home had one of two experiences you either immediately thought of someone in your life that would be a good fit for that, or you didn't think of anyone at all. But it certainly wasn't the mix of you thinking, well, what about this person? What about this person? How about this person? I wonder about that person. What about this person? No, you either narrowed right in on one or two people that would be a perfect referral, or there was no one in your network that would be a referral. And that's okay too. That's how we ask for a referral. We get very specific about what we're looking for, And then when they make a referral, we treat that person like gold. So many people make referrals and they never get acknowledged. I had a client, uh, I'll avoid any names to embarrass any of the players involved. They uh, run a large business and they referred one of their vendors to another vendor. These two vendors, he knew they would be able to do great business together. He connected the two of them, went to a lunch with them, got them all set up. The first deal that those two people that he connected did was a million dollar deal. That was the first deal. Wow. The person who got the intro and got the million-dollar deal sent him a ten dollar Starbucks gift card.
0: Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's like a that's like one venti. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: can't even get a full drink. For ten dollars, okay, <laughs> that's a half a hap, drink yeah, so much. <laughs> It's like this gift card plus some other money in your wallet will allow you to actually enjoy <laughs> it. It would have been better not to send. You did anything. nothing. Right. It literally would have been better to not even acknowledge that the deal had happened than to make such a trite gesture and feign appreciation and thanks and gratitude. So referrals matter, but we want to be really. Conscientious and conscious about how we're navigating
0: them. Man, I, there's so much I want to add, but I want to be respectful of your time. We're we're coming up here, and Joey, this has been just so so much fun. So I would just love, besides go checking out and getting a copy of your book, never lose a customer again, turn any sale into lifelong loyalty in 100 days, which I would highly highly recommend. I am going to be reviewing it
1: much on my own. Where else can people go to find out about the stuff that you have going on, Joey? So the best place to find me is on my website, Brandon. It's joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a (laughs) five-year-old, you know. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, if you're familiar with that, but no relation. joeycoleman.com. What I have on there that I'd point everyone to is right on the homepage, there is a first 100 days implementation kit, a starter kit. It goes through all of the eight phases. It gives you six remarkable ideas for each of the eight phases. So you finish, you start the process with almost 50 ideas that you can apply tomorrow in your business. But more importantly, it has blank worksheets for you to sit down and fill out, to brainstorm your own ideas, to work with your team, to figure out ways that you can create the kind of remarkable experiences that'll keep your customers coming back for more.
0: Awesome. Well, everyone go check that out. I'll have that linked up in the show notes. And I just really quickly want to have a conversation with you listening. I just want to say you could be listening to any other podcast out right out there right now, but you decided to click on this episode with Joey. And man, you've been in for a treat. And I know that you have so many actionable takeaways that you can take to create more meaningful experiences with your customers and to just really go out of your way to create these experiences that last and stick inside of people's brains. So if you've been impacted by today's episode, it would absolutely make my day. It would make Joey's day. If you just take a second to share whether it was the very beginning story of the Robotussin that made you laugh, or if it was an actionable takeaway about how to get more referrals, there's something in here that can absolutely make an impact. So whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you for being here so much. And Joey, any final things you want to say before we head off today?
1: Oh, I just uh, thank you, Brandon, for the interview. And I thank you for listening, for making some time for the show. I hope you've enjoyed the conversations and I wish you the best in the first 100 days and beyond.
0: Awesome. Appreciate you, Joey.